Hi, I'm Christine Mulkey. Welcome to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm sitting in for Adam Rappaport this week. I'm here with Liz Pruitt from Tartine Bakery in San Francisco and Claire Patak from Violet Bakery in East London. Claire has just published her first cookbook. And Liz, you may know her from the lines outside of the bakery that she runs with her husband, Chad Robertson. Liz, let's walk through your background. How did you start baking and what led you to where you are today? I I started baking with my mom and dad. Uh, my mom is of Swedish background, and we we just baked from a really early age. And I just sort of gravitated naturally towards pastry making. I've just found like aesthetically, I gravitate towards pastries, just like an, an aesthetics. And I like doing detailed things. Every pastry cook and chef I know is very very detail oriented. There's another and, word for that, but we won't say it on air. <laughs> well, keep it nice. <laughs> and um, so I think it was like all of that. And then that brought me to um, uh, CIA. I went to their culinary arts program here on the East Coast and also their baking and pastry program. But you, I mean, you kind of started out in, not in the hinterlands, but you made your way gradually to San Francisco, which is interesting and also makes me think a little bit about Claire. Yeah, well, we actually started in the hinterlands of where Claire (laughs) is from, where I was born, in West Marin, California. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were in Point Reyes Station, which is close to where Claire's from, Inverness, right? Well, actually, I was born in Point Reyes Station, but then, yeah, then we moved to Inverness, which is... four miles away. Yeah, Yeah, right. Yeah. And we had a little tiny bakery there. It was wholesale. And we started just baking breads and pastries out of a brick oven that was built by Alan Scott, the infamous New Zealand oven, bread oven builder. Who was the guy neighbor when I was growing up. He lived behind us. And uh, yeah, yeah, in Point Reyes Station, in one of the houses that we lived in, he (sighs) and his family lived behind us and he had a little oven there. And he used to make, I was telling Christine, he used to make this incredible, his rye, you know, bread. But then um, he made this birthday cake for his daughter, Leela, that I'll never forget. It was the most delicious birthday cake I've ever had. What kind was it? It was like a lemon poppy seed birthday cake. And I think it must have been made with wholemeal flour, you know. But I just remember sitting around their table and eating that cake and thinking, this is something. This is really amazing. What an Alan Scott is, is truly a god, like the ovens that he built are legendary and anyone who's interested in bread baking or any wood-fired oven, he is like the real deal. I have to ask, Tartine, were there lines out the door from day one? No. Day five? Nope. 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 (laughs) Okay, give me a month. Yeah, uh, it was like a year and a half after we started. Oh my gosh. I know. Yeah, it it took quite some time. And how did, what kicked it off? Um, I think it was just, kind of the critical mass of the neighborhood realizing mm. we we're around and More enough mouth. press and right. you know we kind of had to adapt and figure out what people wanted and there were no lunch places per se around that immediate vicinity mm. unless you know there were lots of taquerias but to offer something different so yeah that's how we started the sandwiches that's so interesting yeah. so Claire you started on the west coast yes and then you went very far away I did <laughs> I um I also learned to bake with my mom in the kitchen, very young. She was very relaxed about letting us make lots of mistakes, <laughs> which is cool. And I think, yeah, I loved it so much from a very young age. And then there was a bakery that opened in Point Reyes Station called the Bovine Bakery. <laughs> and I think I was 14 and three quarters or something when they were opening and I wasn't quite allowed to work yet. And I mm-hmm. begged them to get a job. 
<laughs> and so, yeah, so they let me get a job there. So I learned a lot there. And then always sort of it was my weekend job or my summer job was in baking, but I studied film. So I took a little um, detour at, at a certain point <laughs> thinking that I needed a real job, you think, you know. And thank God some friends and family talked sense into me and said, this is what you're really good at. You should do this. So eventually I ended up getting a really amazing job at Chez Panisse. And then, yes, my boyfriend at the time was English. So uh, I ended up in London with him. And when I got there, I thought I would continue in restaurants. Um, but it was different there. They didn't have the same kind of, you know, there weren't pastry chefs in the types of restaurants where I wanted to work, it was either, you know, three Michelin stars and you can be a pastry chef or you can um, work in the kind of restaurants where I like to eat. Mm. <laughs> um, and it was just the cooks all rotating through mm. the sort of, you know, today you Chef's make the pudding. Right. Yeah. Panicata or chocolate nemesis. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. And um, and that just wasn't enough for me. So I just thought I had to do it myself. So I started a, a little market stall in East London, where it is right where, um, really close by to where I live. So it was good. I can't believe that was 10 years ago. I can't either. It's crazy. <laughs> wow. So what would you say your signature baked good is, the one thing you can't take off the menu? I would probably say the butterscotch blondie. There would be major problems if I took that. <laughs> There'd be like an uproar if I took that off the menu. It's funny. We also do a really good business in banana bread and carrot cake, which are two things which I refused to make for the first two years of my business. (laughs) I was like, you make that at home. Like, who cares? Why do you, you know? And then I just, so many people asked for it. And I thought, you know, okay, there's something to that. People really want those comforting, familiar things. So I'm going to just make the best damn banana bread you've ever had. And (laughs) the Mm -hmm. same with the carrot cake. And I actually, um, I worked really hard on developing those recipes so that I liked them too, (laughs) or they were just a bit more special, but also still, um, you know, kind of hit that spot that you wanted. So those kind of really simple things are what Mm -hmm. people really like from me. (laughs) Well, one thing that I know that you're really well known for, like I thought you were going to say whoopie pies. Is, oh. Isn't that like a major... But don't you call them something else in your book? They're oh. also We can also talk about cupcakes. If you Cup- <laughs> yeah. so you made your name at the market with cupcakes, right? We did. Well, we started... So we started the, at the market in 2005, and the cupcake um, craze, as it's called, was really crazy. <laughs> um, it worked for you. And Yeah. I, I have to say it was great because... It helped me because I saved a lot of money and <laughs> opened my bakery with that cupcake money, I think. <laughs> and when did the cupcake start to taper off? Probably actually just about t- t- uh, 2010 oh, wow. when I um, opened the bakery. I think we still did. We still did a lot, but and especially in London, it's very, you know, fashionable um, to be on trend with whatever you're eating as mm-hmm. well as what you're wearing or what you're doing, <laughs> you know, and for one moment, it was like, you know, we, we we work with a lot of fashion clients, actually. So oh, it was cool. like all the parties would be, you know, mini cupcakes and Stella McCartney. I was like writing Stella's name on every single little cupcake. <laughs> <laughs> we did like a Jimmy Choo event. And we actually, Fanny Singer, Alice's daughter, was visiting me and she um, created this template to make leopard print um, oh cupcakes. <laughs> oh, for Jimmy <laughs> Choo. Exactly. So 
we actually hand studded, it was insane, with little silver and gold balls, like to match their studded oh, wow. shoes that they were doing. <laughs> but anyway, so. I wish I know. could have been in those meetings. That's a creative yeah. meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really fun. And that was really what was happening. But then suddenly it was like almost, you know, embarrassing to have cupcakes at your event because it was like, right, oh, cupcakes, you know, those are so <laughs> kind of passe. So it changed really quickly. And we did a lot of whoopie pies um, after that. And and now I think it's um, it's kind of, it's it's changing all the time. I mean, it's nice now because there's room to do all the other stuff that we want to do. But what's your new cupcake? I actually think the new thing that's really interesting is all these alternative flowers and mm. grains, which our customers are really, really excited about. So we do a lot of spelt and rye and, yeah. How's that Kamut cookie? It's so delicious. It looks really good. <laughs> that looks really good. I really Thank wanted you. that. And I love, is it Tartine, the Valrona spelt brownie is crazy. And yeah. you do the rye so cookie? Good. Yeah, and the rye, it's like it's a little salted rye, very, very deeply chocolate. Mm. Uh, it's so good. And working with alt grains, how is that process for you? Like, how did you dial it in? Is it, you can't just swap it in. You need to. No, really... yeah, it's a different, you know, you have to create a recipe that's around the flour. And for me, because flavor and taste is such an important part of what I do, and I, I know that is for Liz too. I mean, I think you often think of, you know, savory cooking that you're adjusting flavors, tasting as you go. And, you know, like you're making a tomato sauce and you would adjust it for seasoning or for, you know, whatever is too acidic or it's a little, you know, these tomatoes are a little sweet, you know, you would adjust it and you don't think about adjusting baking in the same way, I think, usually. But I I do. <laughs> so what I was really excited about with, with the grains was their flavor. So I mm-hmm. wanted to make things that, you know, just basically brought out their flavor. And I think the wonderful thing about plain white flour is that it doesn't have any flavor. So whatever you're baking with just you know, you can enhance the flavor of that thing. Mm. But then when you're working with all grains, it's like buckwheat is a very powerful flavor. Yeah. <laughs> so yep, yep. it doesn't go with everything. There is something going on in the quote unquote Pinstagram universe where, <laughs> you know, the female baker is sort of this new lifestyle ideal. How do you think that happened? And what would you like to say to those people who think, oh, I'm just going to quit my job in finance and make <laughs> X? <laughs> Sorry, just my um, laugh. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a thing for a while. Like a lot of people, oh, since we have opened our doors, have um, seen us creating and baking and thought they they could do that or they want to do that too. And we used to allow people here and there to come in and we'd say, Sometimes. you know, somebody I knew, okay, like an architect once came in. I said, okay, just work a couple of days. And, you know, without... <laughs> Without Sorry, exception, so without See you at exception, 3 a.m. they would be like, I just, I don't think this is for me. <laughs> <laughs> and they really, you know, they see all the work that goes into mm-hmm. it and just, you know, it's, it's what everybody knows. You're like going to be standing there peeling and coring cases and cases and cases of apples. Um, and you get to do the sexy fun stuff and Which is baking. What? And um, well, for me, my thing, I just love just the elemental simplicity of making a fruit galette. Mm. And I love making that kind of very flaky dough and just working with fruit. That's really my favorite thing. Me too. Um, yeah. I think mm-hmm. it is for a lot of you us. You are galette yeah. girls, I yeah. have to say. We're galette, galette girls. girls. Galette girls. I know. Yeah, I love your books. We are. <laughs> it is a really big thing. And I think that 
Uh, well, Pinterest and Instagram just uh, are blowing up with this platform for people to show what they're doing at home. And it's mm. sort of like, I don't know, this sort of nice way. My mom probably would have too. If like she would have shown her yeah. homemade loaves if we right. had the same thing, right. you know, this media. Mm. And I mean, what is the reality? What time do bakers get to work? And well, how? you know, we're we're a little different, and mm. we established this in a in a different way. And I see Claire smiling and nodding. And I'm wondering <laughs> if you did too, because so. we always said in the beginning. Um, this was long before we had our daughter. When we're in Point Reyes. Chad just didn't, he wasn't going to be that 3 a.m. baker Mm. or that 2 o'clock in the morning baker. And we were always the last people to race to the farmer's market and (laughs) always the last one setting up. So I would be (laughs) frantically driving our van across the bridge. Us too in our Mercedes estate from the 80s. Nice. Diesel, (laughs) I hope. (laughs) Yep, yep. (laughs) That hot loaves of bread, you know, coming out of the fogged up Mm. van. Um, (laughs) And, and, you know, still we, we have our bread come out at about, it used to be five now. It's like between oh three and four in the afternoon. And when we open up um, the Heath space, of course, we want to have toast for breakfast and stuff like that. So we'll have some bakers starting earlier. But I never started in the kitchen before 6 a.m. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly what we did as well. I think I, I knew that if I wanted it to work, I needed to be there. And if I wanted to, if, you know, if I needed to be there every day, then I needed to make it realistic for me. And so I never had a baker come in before 530 would be our earliest. But generally, yeah, we started six. And it's great because I think you can have a life. And I did do 4 a.m. shifts um, when I was learning baking. And it was fun when I was, you know, 19. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Well, let's talk about flex life. Claire, you were due to give birth in January. Yes. I believe. And I was reading this incredible interview that Liz gave to Lucky Peach. And um, you were just so frank about what happens to women in the restaurant industry when they have a kid. And I know there's a little bit of this in the Bay Area where they have some flex time or partners can kind of take off. But it's true, like especially if you have two, both people working in the restaurant industry and the kid is sick and you know, requires a lot of attention. So I just want to read what you said. The question working moms get asked is this, how do you make this work? It's a question that shouldn't even exist. It's not up to me. Why is the question not asked of men? How do you make it work, Chad? Nobody ever asked him that. When women are paid the same, then we can start with the question of how we handle having a more equal contribution from both partners. It just keeps rolling along to the same conversation. How do women have it all? And it's going to be in every magazine forever, and it's the wrong question. The right question is, how do men and women figure out how to have it all together? And that was just so powerful. So I was wondering, what mm. advice do you have for Claire as a business owner who's <laughs> yes, about please. to give birth, whose husband <laughs> works full time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, first, I w- want to thank you for reading that. That was the culmination and f- of all my frustration um, in having our daughter and stepping back. Um, and, you know, the, just that whole thing that everybody who has a family deals yeah. with. Mm. Um, yeah, I admit, I admitted some of the um, F words. <laughs> <laughs> I asked my parents if they read it, and my father said, was that the article where you said fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it's an yes. okay word here on the BA Foodcast, so we're in a safe space. Okay, good. <laughs> um, well, that was how strongly I felt mm-hmm. about it, and I still I can feel my uh, heart beating faster as you were reading that because I was really worked up over this topic 
And so, I mean, for Claire, I mean, you're the head of your shop <laughs> and you're, you know, you're, you're going to step back a little bit like we all do. Um, yeah. And then, you're, you know, we all figure it out. And I'm hoping that your husband is going to have a little <laughs> bit of time that he can take. Um, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, something – there's only so much time in the day. And, exactly. Um, there's only so much all of us can do, and a kid needs, like, X amount. And I hired a nanny. I was lucky enough mm. to be able to do that. And, you know, for a while she was very part-time, and then it was, like, three-quarter time. <laughs> but that got me uncomfortable, you know, going too far into the whole – you know, nanny world, which yeah. I know New York and San Francisco, there's lots of people who have nannies, but I wanted to raise our daughter too. And so, and you know, I understand why women get asked like, so how do you do it all? How do you balance it? Mm -hmm. um, well, you pay to go to work. You, yeah, yeah. Right. And that's, that's what people do. Uh, I'm, I'm just wishing that there was more flexibility where men work, where men can actually take time off. I mean, James Freeman, who is the founder of Blue Bottle Coffee, was able to take six weeks off to be with his infant daughter, Lyndon. Now, when his son was born 11 years ago, he took, I think he said, like two days off, and he had to go straight back to work. Mm -hmm. And that, that was the reality then when we were all new in our businesses. I don't know what I would have done back then because we, you know, if I had had archer early in our career um would have changed everything it would have changed everything and i definitely don't recommend having a, i'm not advocating for having a child at 43 like i did <laughs> because menopause be and a toddler <laughs> don't go well together let me just tell you that um yeah <laughs> it's really hard well, I'm. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for writing that first of all, and for putting that message out into the world, um, and also for your advice and just to, you know, follow in your footsteps and see how it can be done. And I, I actually, um, I waited a long time because because I love what I do, and it was a struggle to decide. You know, when mm -hmm. do I slow down and stop and and do this other thing that I also really want to do? And there's an incredible amount of pressure. You know, also. From society, you know, why don't you have children? Are you going to have children? It's asked of me all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of look around. They're asking me this when I'm in my business. And, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm kind of like, well. <laughs> this is full-time. Do you want to help? Yeah. Too. Right. Well, I think the advantage um, is that you and I at the time, we had a good infrastructure. Yes. At our bakery, I had people that mm -hmm. I could trust. But, yeah, you do over time build these, you know, very trusted relationships. That's right. Okay, well, let's talk about what people really also want to know about Christmas cookies. <laughs> <laughs> what are your traditions? Do you sell them? Yeah. What do you make at home? What can you, what, is it possible for you to not make a certain Christmas cookie? My favorite is something that I started, we briefly had a bakery in Mill Valley for two years, and we started there. It's a soft glazed gingerbread, mm. and it's just, it's, you could, probably take your basic ginger cookie recipe and I made it a little thicker. I underbaked it a little and I used just a roller that I found at Sur La Tabla. And, <laughs> and it's the same one we use today. And we just roll the impression into it and bake it just until it's like set and still soft. Nice. And then put a, um, what we call a water glaze, which is just essentially uh, sugar and water boiled to the thread 
or thread glaze, you can call it too, uh, to the thread stage. And so when you brush it on and it sets and dries, it gets this beautiful crackly Mm, like European tile look. Oh, wow. And that's my favorite, favorite. It's all those flavors and everybody loves a little icing, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's just so good in that bite is so nice Yum, that sounds great and i know you have a ginger we also yeah we do a ginger cookie as well that's very popular Mm. but now being in england our most popular thing is mince pies so uh, real ones what is a mince pie again it's the best (laughs) it's so good (laughs) um but we do mini ones so they're like two bites um so it's it's kind of like a cookie um it's a short crust pastry a sweet sweet crust pastry sorry and then it's filled with mincemeat which is basically um raisins candied fruit apples and spices and all those same warming delicious Christmassy spices and then you just boil it down and kind of reduce it and we jar it and let it sort of settle a little bit so you're not doing the like the version that has suet and no we put butter that. instead of suet okay but suet you know i love suet i gotta say <laughs> little lamb fats delicious <laughs> um, you know it was it was traditionally used because it was you know it was a great byproduct and it was a lot cheaper than dairy and dairy okay. is harder to you know preserve so um, and nobody's missing the suet no not at all and it's <laughs> nice to East have London. a vegetarian yeah. <laughs> i know there i know a few bakers in london that do use the suet and it's delicious and it doesn't you don't really taste the difference it's just a it's a mm. textural mm. kind of thing you know it's like lard and pastry mm-hmm. you know if it's really good lard then it doesn't right, right, taste right. porky mm. and weird so that's that's like you can't have christmas without a mince pie mm. <laughs> i'm glad you've learned to like them <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Claire, I can't wait to cook from your book. I'm going to make Thank those you. rye brownies this weekend. Fantastic. And Liz, I have to say, looking through the Tartine book, I mean, that book came out 2007? Oh, my first one yes. came out in 2006. Okay. But that's yeah, still, it's such a wonderful, old. relevant book. And I'm also most excited about uh, Tartine coming to New York in the spring with your husband, Chad Robertson. And also Us Tokyo, too. Los Angeles, We're in to- yeah. San Francisco. Yep. It's finally happening. Brooklyn. May the lines continue. <laughs> here, here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by executive producer Bell Cushing and project manager Carrie Polis with editing by Mitra Kaboli. The theme music is by Valerie and the Greedies. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.